You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. We are in the midst of a series called Thrive, and we have been walking through and unpacking the first six chapters of Daniel. We're on January chapter four today, and this is a series about how to thrive in a place, in a world, maybe in a job or a school or a culture where you don't know if you quite fit or, or if you don't feel like you belong. Uh, or maybe the world seems like it's just going crazy or things are just upside down in your life. How can you still thrive in the midst of a life that seems is out of control? Daniel and his friends uh, were abducted when they were about 13 or 14 years old, plucked out of their home in Israel, and they were dropped into a brand new environment that was actually quite violent and volatile towards their walk with God. They loved God, but yet they were dropped into a culture where their names were changed to the names of idol names. Uh, their body was, uh, was altered to satisfy the wishes of an evil king. Uh, they were also forced to study and learn and memorize things that they did not believe in, uh, including things of the occult nature. It was a culture that was anti-God, and then they were forced to serve a maniacal, wicked king in a place called Babylon. Babylon is one of the great empires of the ancient times, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, is considered one of the most evil men of his day. It's important to realize that in, in this study of Daniel, that we know that, that despite all of their difficulties, uh, they lived as if they knew the end of the story. And they knew that God was in control and they thrived. But as we read through these six chapters, it seems like it's jumping all over the place. And that's because Daniel is basically a snapshot or Polaroid scrapbook. That means it takes a picture of this scenario and then it jumps a few years, takes a picture of this. It's like you were looking through Daniel's scrapbook. Oh, remember that time when, when this happened? Ah, Shadrach, hey, man, come here. Remember when you said that? You know, it's like just glimpses and moments. In fact, today's chapter, it's a small one. It covers eight years. And here in just a moment, when we jump into it, between chapter 3 and chapter 4, 40 years have passed. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego last week stood up to King Nebuchadnezzar, who said that they must bow at this idol, uh, but they said no. And as a result, they were tossed into a fiery furnace. Maybe you've heard the story, and God showed up, redeemed them, and didn't just redeem them, but he showed up in the midst of the fire with them. Dynamic story. Uh, they were promoted. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was humbled, and they were promoted to a place of authority, and so was Daniel as well. So now, between chapter 3 and today, it's been 40 years. So that you've turned the page on the scrapbook, a big jump, a big hole in the story. Uh, we're going to pick it up in John, cha uh, sorry, Daniel chapter 4, chapter uh, 4, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language, who live in the earth, may you prosper greatly. This is really cool about this. Right smack dab in the middle of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar's writing scripture. It's important to realize that what we are about to read is probably one of the earliest gospel tracts ever. Because what we are about to read in Daniel chapter 4 is something that Nebuchadnezzar wrote himself. It's his testimony of how someone who is evil and violent and crazy had found God and humbled himself before the Lord God, the true God. And he wrote down his testimony, and this in Daniel 4 is his testimony. And this testimony was meant to be copied and distributed all across the land. So think about it like this for a minute. A guy who is vile and evil and wicked, who worshipped pagan deities, who did some of the most 
horrible things that Israel could ever have happened to them, including burning down the temple of God, stealing the treasures, and putting them into the temples of false gods. He killed people and chopped them up into pieces if they couldn't tell him what he was thinking. He castrated all of his servants. He was a wicked, wicked man who worshipped other gods, including himself. But yet here he is in Daniel chapter 4 writing the Bible. What was it that changed this man? And that's what this chapter is all about. Maybe you know somebody who's a little bit crazy, right? Maybe you know somebody who seems they're too far for God. Maybe you think you're too far from God. What's great about this story is it's the story of change. So he says this, I, King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations, may you prosper greatly. He says, it is my pleasure, Nebuchadnezzar says, to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. You see, man, seemed like life was going on. I had no idea how much I needed God. I had no idea how empty my life was. Everything in my life seemed to be going just as planned. He was successful. He was content. He was prosperous. And he says, but I had a dream that made me afraid. And as I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. You might remember that in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar first met Daniel because of another nightmare that he had. So this is the second nightmare, and he calls for his dream interpreters. So in verse 6, he says, So I commended uh, that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. Now he starts talking about his pre-God encounter and refers to God in a way that shows that he had a pagan mentality. He says, When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret the dream for me. So finally Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. Now, it's important to understand that note at first, he talks as if he knows who God is, but he does not follow God. He still has other idols. And much like many of you today, you look to the Lord God as someone that is important to you, but your life is filled with idols. And it may not be an idol of marble or stone or gold, but it might be an idol that's green and made out of fabric. It might be in your wallet. It might be the numbers in that checkbook. Or maybe your idol has flesh and blood. It might be a relationship, a friend, a family member, even your own child. Maybe you've made an idol of a hobby or an activity or a career. Maybe you have made an idol. Anything that places its devotion and your passion over God's mission and passion for your life is an idol in your life. And like Nebuchadnezzar, many of you say, God is awesome, but so are the many other things that I like and love in my life. So he still had other idols, though he claims to follow God. He had many idols, perhaps like you, but there was a change coming. So he says, here's the dream. I said, Belshazzar, who is Daniel, by the way, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods, or God, depending on the translation, is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here's my dream, 
Now interpret it for me. Now you might remember Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar's first dream was of a giant or a large statue. Now this dream is of a large tree. So you have a large statue and now you have a large tree. And this was the dream. Basically that there is a tree from the earth. And this large tree is in the middle of a field. And this field is wide and in expanse and it's lush. And this tree reaches into the sky, into the heavens. And it's large and it's strong and it's beautiful and its leaves are, are luxurious. And in this dream, these branches are filled with fruit. And this fruit from the tree basically brings uh, shelter and care and food to all of its environment. Many animals and, and creatures gather under this tree for shelter and food. But in this dream, there is a messenger. Some sort of being shows up from the heavens and commands the tree to be cut down. And then all the branches are to be cut off and that all the fruit is to be scattered all over the land. And that the stump that's left is to be secured with a bronze and iron strap. Now that was the dream. But the dream wasn't over because it also said that that stump would almost take on the mind of a person and be crazy for seven years. That it would live like an animal amongst the animals for seven years. So in Daniel chapter 4, verse 18, after he tells him the dream, he says, This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belshazzar, who is Daniel, tell me what it means. For none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me. But you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Again, he makes a declaration of knowing the God of Daniel, but he has many idols in his life. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't truly understand the Lord God in his life. He looks more like the Lord of God as a God of convenience. One in times of trouble might be able to help him out. So he calls upon the God of Daniel in his time of trouble to help him out. Then Daniel, also called Belshazzar, says he was greatly perplexed for a time and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belshazzar, um, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. And so Belshazzar answered, my Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. So I imagine as, as Nebuchadnezzar is just telling this dream, man, this is a giant tree, and it was beautiful, and it fed the land, and there was animals and creatures, but then, boom, it got cut down, and it got stripped of its fruit, and there was this angel, this being, or this something divine from heaven declared a command, and this, this, everything went crazy, and Daniel's just sitting there listening, and his heart's getting sad because God is revealing the dream to him as he's hearing it because he knows that this dream is about Nebuchadnezzar. And so his heart gets sad for his lost friend. And I think this is really important to understand about Daniel. Daniel never gave up on the people around him. Daniel never gave up even in the face of some of the most wicked people that he knew. I want you to think of maybe somebody who you might have in your life who just pushes your buttons, right? Who just, you think, man, if God touched their life, it would be a miracle. This was the situation. Here's Daniel. He's got a friend who's lost. Maybe you have a friend that's not a Christian. Maybe you have someone that you love, a family member that is not a Christian. And, man, you're praying for them. Man, you're believing that God will touch them. And then uh, this moment comes for Daniel to, to, to kind of give him some word and some challenge. And his heart was sad because he knew that this was something that was going to hurt his friend. So he says, well, Nebuchadnezzar, here's the interpretation of what the dream. He says, the dream is this, the field well, that's the earth. 
And the tree, well, that's you. You're that beautiful, luxurious, abundant, shelter-giving tree that gives provision to those in the land. And your influence reaches into the sky because it extends into the distant lands and has great influence. But this messenger is from God himself saying that he will cut you down and strip everything from you and you will be like a crazy animal for seven years. Seven times, verse 25 says, will pass for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms of the earth and give them to anyone he wishes. Seven times, meaning seven years or seven seasons. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. So that stump being secured is saying that God knows that you will, after seven years, acknowledge him and that it will all be restored. So therefore, verse 27, by your majesty, uh, therefore your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. This is the challenge. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. And it may then, maybe, Maybe your prosperity will continue and you can avoid all of this, is what he says. So he says, turn to God while you can, Nebuchadnezzar. It's not too late. Perhaps this can be prevented. See, I love this about Daniel. Daniel loved Nebuchadnezzar. He cared for him greatly. Again, maybe you have someone that you love who's not walking and serving God. Maybe you're not, and, and I'm glad you're here today. But maybe you know somebody, or maybe you're not. And, and I want you to know what Daniel did is he never watered down the truth. He never cozied up and said, Daniel, or Nebuchadnezzar, it's going to be all right. Man, I know what the dream really meant. Ooh, I'm not going to tell him, but you'll be fine. You'll be fine, bro. Just be a little nicer. Be a little nicer to your wife, you know. Maybe go to church a little bit. Uh, you know, just, just kind of improve a little bit. No, Daniel said straight up, Nebuchadnezzar, you're walking in sin, and it will destroy your life if you do not turn from your sin. If you do not go in a different direction with God, your life is headed for ruin. He didn't water down the truth. He didn't give the feel-good version. If you're ever a part of a church that gives the feel-good version of the Bible, then you might want to avoid them because they're not going to speak honestly out of love. The Bible says that we are to speak the truth in love with graciousness and patience. So if you have a friend that needs to hear the truth, don't, don't water it down. You know, we're not going to water it down for you because I love you because that's what love does. It speaks the truth in love. And so it happened a, a year later Nebuchadnezzar went crazy. So all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 28, 12 months later. As the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of, the ba of Babylon, he said, uh, is this not the great Babylon I have built? As the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. Look at all I have done. Isn't what I have accomplished awesome? Isn't what I have achieved Awesome. He looked at all of his accomplishments. He looked at all that he went through. He looked at his family. He looked at his house. He looked at his job. He looked at his bank account. He looked at even the struggles he went through and how he overcame them. It said, look at all I have achieved. He took credit for everything and anything that was good in his life, like many of you, like many of us are guilty of doing. But even as the words were on his lip, verse 31, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you. King Nebuchadnezzar, your royal authority has been taken from you, and you will be driven away from the people and will live with the wild animals. 
You will eat grass like the ox, and seven times or seven seasons will pass by for you until, you're, until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and that he gives them to whom he wishes. In verse 33, immediately what happened uh, is this. What was said was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people and he ate grass like the ox. He was an extreme vegan. <laughs> so it was like God says, no more meat for you. You are now be a vegan. That is a curse. I'm just kidding. It would be for me. So he ate grass like the ox. Some of you guys, you don't even know what a vegetable is. You're like, Every, anything that's green is grass for you. Veggies are good. It's okay. Uh, God designed them to be good for us. That's what your mama told you, right? He was driven away from the people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the, drew, with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. So for seven years, he lived like an animal in the wild. For seven years, he, he began to, to, he was just a crazy person. We don't know if he kept his clothes or if he just lived in the wild as a, as a beast. His, his nails grew out, his hair grew long, and his flesh got all gnarly. And for seven years, he was an animal. He lived like an animal. He was insane. He went crazy. At the end of that time, in one verse, we jump seven years. At the end of that time, seven years later, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. He was broken. He was humbled by his experience. And notice how drastically different he talks about God now. Before, he was a God among other gods. But now, listen to this. He says, then I praised the most High God. That means the only living God, the only true God, the most high God. And I was honored and glorified, uh, and I honored and glorified the one who lives forever. His, the Lord God's dominion, is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the people of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases. God is in charge. I'm not in charge. I didn't build this kingdom. I didn't pull myself up by my bootstraps and get myself through this. God was my ability and my strength to endure. God does as he pleases, and he's the one who gave me the power to achieve and to do whatever I have done. He says, he does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the people of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? He's saying, God doesn't have to explain himself to us. We don't have to say, God, what are you doing in my life? What is going on in my world? Well, you know, God might tell you a little bit, but he doesn't have to explain himself because he's God. Nebuchadnezzar had this light bulb moment. He, was, he had to go insane to gain his true sanity. He understood that, God, man, I don't have to ask you. I just have to trust you. But he lets us ask him, but when we don't get the answers, we get to trust him. He does as he pleases. He acknowledged God's supreme power and rule in his life. At the same time, my sanity was restored. My honor and splendor will return to me for the glory, uh, for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven. Because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. This is important. This is a core truth that every person who wants to know God must understand. God is good. He is 
good and everything God does or even doesn't do is right. See, this was an eye-opening moment for Nebuchadnezzar. He says, I finally understand. God, you're good and you are right all the time. And even when my life seems to be going insane, literally in the case of Nebuchadnezzar, for seven years, God, what is going on in my life? God is right. He is good. He is just. He is always in charge, always in control. We may not understand all that God does, and we may not understand all that God allows, but we know he is good. He is right. He is just. That was his declaration. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Just a few years later, after this track was submitted to the kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar died. This is the last we hear of Nebuchadnezzar. It was his testimony. You might even say this was his deathbed salvation. In the 50 plus years that Nebuchadnezzar was king of Babylon, the only evidence we have outside of the Bible of Nebuchadnezzar is that he was a pagan, that he was an evil man, that he did horrible and vicious and violent things. But the Bible tells us the last year or two of his life that this wild and crazy, obscene person trusted in the Lord God and his life was changed. See, God had determined many years ago that there are truths that we must know. In our hands, we have two ways of looking at the Bible. There are things in the Bible that we must hold tightly. And then there are things in the Bible that we must hold with an open hand, loosely. And these are things that we believe, the things that we believe. The things that we hold tightly is that Jesus is the Lord God come in the flesh. That's a foundational truth that is clear in the Bible, that we hold tightly to that. Another one is that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, was buried in the grave, and three days later rose again from the dead. Our whole faith is based upon a miracle. We hold tightly to that. We also believe that Jesus is coming back again. We don't know when it is. It could be tomorrow. It could be years. It could be thousands of years. We don't know, but we hold to that truth that he is coming back. We hold tightly to these truths. We also hold true uh, with a tight grip those that anyone here who will call upon the name of the Lord can be saved. It doesn't matter who you are. If you will turn to God from your sin and say, Jesus, here's my life, and you ask for forgiveness, and through faith you will be saved. That is something we hold tight. But there are all kinds of things in the Bible that we have with an open hand. Small differences. I bet in this room we have all kinds of differences about the Bible. All kinds of differences about things in the Bible. There are things that we hold tightly and there are things we hold with an open hand. What Daniel gives us here in chapter 4 through the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar are things that we hold tightly. Majors that we cannot let go of that are without objection. So what Daniel gives us are some majors. So I want to give you some majors today that we get from Daniel chapter 4, through the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar. And the first one is this. Sin separates you from God and from others. Hold tightly to this truth. Realize this. In verse 24 of Daniel chapter 4, Daniel says to Neb, he says, he says, renounce your sins. Turn from them and from your wickedness. He says, or you're going to lose everything. Your sin will destroy your life. Sin will destroy your life. Neb's primary sins for him, that he worshipped pagan idols. He actually worshipped other deities outside of the Lord God. And he took advantage of the weak. 
and he oppressed the people of Israel. These were his sins. What are your sins? We all are guilty of falling short of, the, of God's glorious standard. The Bible says that every one of us in this room, including myself, we're all sinners at one point. Many of us are sinners saved by grace, so we are made holy through Jesus now. But all of us, we have sinned, and all of us have fallen short of God's plan for our life. And Daniel gives us this very clear warning. This sin will separate you from God and from others. In the story of Nebuchadnezzar, this sin, this falling short of God's design resulted in a separation from God, from God's love, from God's plan, from God's peace, and from God's purpose. But not only that, this sin separated Nebuchadnezzar from everyone in his life that he knew. Think about it. Isolation and self-obsession was the result of his sin. Nebuchadnezzar was driven out into the wilderness to live like an animal, not having the love and affection of his wife, of his children, of his friends, of any relationship, whatever. Sin ultimately not only drives you away from God, but will drive you away from the ones that you love the most. And we must all find ourselves at this point, uh, at this place at some point. Number two. A major, arrogance and pride are incredibly, incredibly destructive. I need a couple of volunteers who think they can blow a good bubble. We got anybody who's like, can blow a good bubble? All right. You get Hubba Bubba, classic, or Orbit Bubblegum. Hubba Bubba. All right. Take as much as you feel like you need. Come on up here. Take as much as you need. Uh, but if somebody else... <laughs> not the, <laughs> Leave some for somebody else in case somebody else wants to do. <laughs> That's a lot of gum, bro. All right. Anybody else? You're like, hey, you know what? I think, all right, will you want Orbit or Hubba Bubba? The classic. All right. Here, I'll come down here. There you go. Hubba Bubba. Keeping it real. How much do you want? A lot. Oh, really? Yeah. You too? Is that enough? Yeah, Are you good. sure? Yeah. Okay. Oh, here, here's the last part. Okay. Oh, here, you want that part too? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I got some, I got some left about, and some orbit. Who else wants to do this? Anybody else? Oh, that would be nice. Ooh, three sections. You guys root for your section. All right. There's all that, or you can take a mixture. Oh, wow. I'll take a mixture. Ooh, take as many of those orbit as you want. Okay, you'll take four. <laughs> what are you going to do afterwards? That's, all right, here's the deal. I'm going to come back to you because it takes a while for that gum to kind of get bubble ready, right? So uh, just kind of keep chewing that as, uh, as I'm working on this next part. Um, this is a foundational truth. Arrogance and pride are incredibly destructive. See, a lot of times we think, man, if we were to list the sins that are bad, you know, we would say like, yeah, you know, maybe adultery or murder for sure, you know. Stealing, that's a bad one. Lying when it's convenient is okay. You might think that lying is always wrong, but you might think, uh, you know, lying. But, but sometimes pride doesn't make it to the list because well, it's just pride. It's just a little bit of pride. It's just a little bit of arrogance. You know, we all have known and experienced maybe one or two people who have a little bit of pride, and a little bit of arrogance, or maybe yourself, you're pretty arrogant in pride, and you're like, ah, it's just, it's just a small sin. But you need to remember that the, the seed of all major sin in the earth and in the universe is the result of one, created beings 
pride. There was an angel in heaven whose pride brought him to envy, and this caused him to be cast from heaven, and he became who we now call Satan. The Satan's primary sin that caused the snowball of destruction among humanity is pride. So we should never downplay pride. In fact, God detests pride almost greater than any other sin in the Bible. Uh, but we need to remember that there is also a good pride and there is a bad pride. So let me explain a little bit unless you're confused. A good pride or a positive pride would be the kind of pride that is, has a satisfaction with a job well done. Maybe you've looked back at a, at a, a project you built or, or something that you accomplished in school or something at work, and you look back and you go, I'm really proud of that. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm satisfied. I think I did a good job. That is a okay pride. In fact, I've got some verses in your Bible that talk about a good kind of pride, a, a healthy kind of self-reflection of self-accomplishments. Uh, or maybe you're proud of others. You're proud of your kids. You're proud of your son. You're proud of your wife or your husband. And you have this sense of, of joy in knowing that they did a great job and you're proud of them. The Bible says that there is a good pride. But what we find in the Bible that is so destructive is this arrogant pride. And this attitude of arrogant pride is one that looks down on others, looks at people and says, well, maybe you're not as good as I am, or you're not as smart as I am. You don't have as much money as I am, or you don't read your Bible as much as I do, or maybe you don't go to church as much as I do, or you haven't accomplished the things that I have accomplished, or you haven't achieved the things that I have achieved. So you have this kind of looking down attitude towards others, or you take advantage of others. You think, well, you know, I'm better, so I deserve to have the better seat, or the better peace, or the better parking spot. I've worked harder. I deserve what I have, and you haven't earned it, so I'm going to take advantage of you because I think it's okay. There's a, there's a pride there. Pride also is manifest in someone who feels like they're above the law. You know what? I don't want to obey that law. I don't feel like I have to. I don't have to follow that rule. If I need to follow that rule and it gets me in trouble, I might follow that rule, but as a whole, there's a pride that says, I don't believe that the rule applies to me. And some people also look at that as a way to say, you know what, God, yeah, you're cool, you're good, but really your rules and ultimately your laws don't apply to me. So there's a, this big arcing arrogance and pride that the Bible says is incredibly destructive. The Bible probably talks about pride more than any other sin in the entire Bible. Here's just a few of the verses. By the way, the life teams this week are going to be unpacking specifically pride in the life teams this week. So be in one. This is what Proverbs 8.13 says, to, the fear, uh, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. And then God says, I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. Proverbs 11.2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Proverbs 16.5, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. God doesn't just kind of not like pride. He doesn't look at our pride and go, man, you need to kind of work on that, buddy. No, he detests pride. He detests arrogant pride. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Jesus said in Matthew 23, he says, those who exalt themselves, they will be humbled. I tell you what, it's always better to humble yourself than to have God humble you. 
And we're going to find out Nebuchadnezzar did not humble himself, and that's what happened to him. Psalm 10, verse 4, David says, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek God. And in all of his thoughts, there is no room for God. You're so proud of your accomplishments and what you do and your achievements. You think you're so smart, so skilled, so good. There's just not room for God in your life. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says real simply in James 4, 6, he says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Let me explain to you what that word oppose means. It means makes war. I want you to think about this. There's a verse in the Bible that said, if God is for you, who can be against you? Let's flip it around. This verse says, if God is against you, who can literally help you? God opposes. He makes war with the proud. So if you're an ear and you have this kind of arrogant, proud demeanor or stature or attitude, you may be looking down or have this, even if it's a small looking down upon people who maybe haven't achieved your position, your role, or, or maybe some of you, it's not about position, it's what you've endured. Maybe you've gone through a really tough life and you've, man, you're on the other side of it and you're like, man, nobody knows what I know experience-wise or feeling-wise. And, you know, there's that sense of pride in your life. Listen, God is at war with you. Let's have those bubble people stand up for a second. If you want to uh, give your skill at the bubble, we've got this section, this section, this section upstairs. Pick your, pick your section. So uh, go ahead and watch the bubbles. Go ahead and, and let's see. Turn around a little bit or at least sideways. There you go. So some people can see it and uh, those behind you. All right, go for it. Blow your bubble and let's see what happens. Let's see what we got here. Hey, Byron, could you go ahead and flip on that last light switch? Unsuccessful so far, I got to tell you. <laughs> First service, Raquel blew a great bubble. Come on. Well, it's too much gum, isn't it? <laughs> you can't chew it, it's so much. Uh, look at that. That's a good one. That's a good one. Come on, Ryan. Come on, man. Wah, wah. All right, uh, give me one more shot. <laughs> you need to take some out. <laughs> so far, you've got this. That's it. All right, well, here, you win an act a pack of gum that you can enjoy without having to. All right. Some people are just like that bubble. Let's talk about it for a second. They just are trying to get bigger and bigger, full of themselves. So what happens when we get prideful? We fill our life with ourself. And, you know, if you've ever been a kid and you're, like, blowing bubbles with your sibling or a friend and your bubble's getting big, what do you do? Look, 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 You run into the other room. Right? Anybody ever done that with a bubble? Yeah, you're like, look, 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 look. As, as your bubble gets bigger and bigger, what's the first thing that people want to do as soon as they see that bubble? They want to pop your bubble, right? So you're like, look, 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 right? And you're just blowing this bubble and you're trying to get it bigger and bigger. And our pride is very similar to that bubble. As we get bigger and bigger, filled with our own self-achievements, we're going, look, 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 look at me, look, 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 stay back, but look, 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 because as soon as we get big, that's a pretty good bubble, 
just took a while. <laughs> As we get bigger and bigger and confident in our own achievements, we become the primary target of the people around us who are just waiting for us to fall. But we have this idea that, and, and, and I saw a video this week of someone blowing like a world record bubble. And I, I, the biggest bubble I've blown is probably as, nearly as big as my head. This person blew a bubble that was like literally out here. They had a giant ruler. And she was holding the sides of it like this so that it wouldn't collapse. It was huge. It was massive. And I was like, what are we waiting for? I just want to see it blow all over her face. Right? <laughs> Poof. That's what you want to see. Well, she popped it and she was like, like this and spinning it around like this and <laughs> sucked it up. It was, it was cool. But there's this bubble issue that we, we look at the things in our life and the greater our pride, the bigger the bubble, the greater the mess. And the greater the amount of destruction that can happen as a result as people attempt to pop our bubble. When Nebuchadnezzar was in a place where he was filled with himself, his pride was enormous, and God popped his bubble. Speaking to the next king, in Daniel chapter 5, it says this, Your majesty, this is Daniel talking about Nebuchadnezzar. He says, Your majesty, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. And he lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like an ox, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and sets them over anyone he wishes. See, that arrogance and pride drove Nebuchadnezzar away from God, away from people, drove him insane. He had no ability to have intimate relationships because of that pride and arrogance. It brought him isolation from God and those that he loved. He was extremely gifted, this Nebuchadnezzar. He was a powerful leader. He was known as a powerful general. He, was, he built a dynamic kingdom he was able to accomplish things that very few people in the history of the world had accomplished. But he looked back at his accomplishments, at his brilliance, at his skills and his abilities and says, look how great I am. See, some of you, you can sing really good. Some of you, you're great at sports. Some of you, you have a financial mind that is just amazing. And you have many skills and abilities. And, and you look at yourself in the mirror and you think, man, look how great I am. Look at what I have accomplished. And I want to be made known. I want to be famous. I want acknowledgement. Look, 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 look. But stay away from me. But look. And Nebuchadnezzar had that same Attitude, actors, artists, writers, businessmen, educators, politicians, teachers, inventors, Christian or not, everything that you are good at, every ability that you have, everything you have achieved is given to you by God, whether you are a Christian or not. And this is the third thing that happened. This is something to hold tightly is that God always does what he says he will do. He always does. It says all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. 12 months later. A year passed, nothing. I can imagine Nebuchadnezzar was, like, was pretty scared after the first month. Man, one month, he's like, man, what should I do? 
I'm going to lose everything. Two months, uh, maybe God's just being nice. Three months, uh, it doesn't seem so bad. Four months, it's not going to happen. Five, six, seven, all of a sudden, eight months, ten months, eleven months. Man, nothing's going to happen. Nebuchadnezzar's full of hot air. God doesn't do what he says he's going to do. I'm great. I can rule and reign and, and do what I want without any repercussions. As his arrogance grew, it happened. He went insane, and it lasted seven years. God did exactly what he said he would do. And after seven years, it ended just like God said it would end. And for you, maybe God is nudging into your heart that there's something in your life that you need to change, that you need to do, that you need to address, that you need to work on. And you're looking at everybody around you and say, well, they're doing it, God. How come they're doing just fine? How come everything's okay with them? How come their family's fine? Or they've got money in their pocket. How come they can go out and party and have a good time? And they seem to have everything. Their car doesn't break down on them. They got that raise. God, how come everything's going well with them? Here's the difference. The difference is that if you are his child, he loves you. And for your own good, he will not let you get away with that evil. There is going to come a time when every person will have to stand before God. And if their life is successful, their judgment will come at the end. But for those of us that are his kids, it begins now. And God will often allow us to be disciplined because he loves us, because he cares for us. And so you might look at everybody around you and think, well, they're okay. I'm going to be okay too. God says, "Mm, but you're my kid. That's different. Other kids, they can run wild, but not my kids. See, there's an easy way to learn and a hard way to learn. And Daniel was given Nebuchadnezzar an option. A year, seven years earlier, he said, said, Nebuchadnezzar, if you could just, just turn from your sin. If you could just turn from your sin and turn to God, things could be different. He gave him that option to learn the easy way. But some of us, we are determined to lose everything before we see anything. Some of you, you've had to be in a gutter just to find the curb, right? Just to find God in your life. Sometimes, you know, I just had to learn the hard way. Listen, you don't have to learn the hard way, people. You know what wisdom is? Wisdom is not necessarily learning from your mistakes. Greater wisdom is learning from the mistakes of others. Young person, you don't have to be sitting on the side of the road with your car upside down and your friend hanging out the back window to know that you don't go drinking and driving. You don't have to sit in a clinic and hear a nurse say that you're pregnant to know that you shouldn't be having sex outside of God's plan for you. You don't have to wake up and find that you're on antibiotics the rest of your life with an STD because you had to learn the hard way. Listen, young adult, listen, young person, there's a tremendous amount of wisdom sitting next to you and sitting around you, and true wisdom is learning from the mistakes of others. You can learn the easy way or you can learn the hard way. God loves you, and he's going he's gonna to help you through either way. But I don't know about you, but I pray that I will humble myself before God before he humbles me. If we humble ourselves, it's private. If God humbles us, it's public. Right? Throughout the Bible, we see illustrations of men who learn these important lessons, some the easy way, some the hard way. Nebuchadnezzar declared in verse 37, and those who walk in pride himself, he's able to humble. Like Neb, some have lip service without heart and life change. 
God was included among the idols of their life, but then God popped his bubble and crushed his pride. And this is amazing. Verse, the number four thing that we must hold tightly is that God is incredibly gracious. He gave Nebuchadnezzar an opportunity time and time again. Time and time, for 40 years, Daniel challenged and pleaded and gave opportunity for Nebuchadnezzar to have his life changed. Nebuchadnezzar said no, no, and no. And finally, when discipline came, even after seven years, God's grace stopped the insanity and brought him back to soundness of mind. Much of the Old Testament is about the cycle of God sending warnings through prophets, saying, turn or you will experience the discipline of a loving God. God sent this warning, maybe for you. God's sending you people into your life. Maybe he sent you uh, a dream, maybe a situation. Maybe there's that spiritual nudge. Or maybe like Daniel, God sent a friend into your life to warn you, to challenge you, to speak into your life. Maybe it's today. Maybe this is the warning to some of you today. That still small voice that when you're at that place says, flee, this is not the place you should be. Shut the browser now. Shut the browser now. That nudge in your heart that says, this will destroy you. Don't do it. Run. It's wrong. We have the grace of a loving God warning us and using people and using his spirit to nudge us and speak to us. And why does God love us? Because he created us, and that's in his nature. And because he loves us, he warns us. So after seven years, God extended his grace again. He turned to God, restored him. And this is the last thing I want you to realize, and hold on to this tightly. Nobody's hopeless. Nobody's hopeless. By the end of Daniel 4, this evil man who worshipped occult deities, who had mutilated people, was responsible for a tremendous amount of violence and vile activity and hatred, who not only worshipped other idols, but worshipped himself and demanded it of others. This evil, wicked, vile person God got a hold of. And there was a 180 in his life. He turned from his ways and turned to the living God. He turned from many gods to the one true God. He turned from his life and turned to the life that God had desired for him. His repentance of his sin and acknowledgement of the lordship of the Lord God. He was a changed man. Listen to this declaration. This violent, maniacal, arrogant, self-obsessed, pagan-worshipping man wrote Bible. And this is what he says. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. And my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High God. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. The kingdom of his endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. History is nothing before him. Life moves on even when ours is gone from generation to generation. He is the writer of the world's history. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all of his ways are just. And even someone like me who walks in pride, he is able to humble. That's the end of the track. That's the end of that gospel track. That was The first track recorded in history was from a pagan who said yes to God because nobody, nobody is hopeless. 
It took 40 years for Nebuchadnezzar to finally make it right with God. It took him 40 years to surrender his life to the lordship of God. Daniel 4 is that testimony. You know, I've heard it said uh, in relation to the Lord that in chapter 1, Nebuchadnezzar was a non-believer. In chapter 2, he was a notion believer. That means he had a notion of God had heard about him. By chapter 3, he was a nominal believer. He had a faith in God, but he also had many other idols. But by chapter 4, he was a genuine believer. Maybe some of you know someone who you're trying to walk through to know God, and that's kind of where they are on their track. They're, they're a non or a notion or a nominal, but there comes a moment when they can be a genuine. Daniel never gave up on him. Daniel loved him every step of his faith. He prayed for him. He spoke the truth and love to him. And I have a challenge for you. How long will you wait for your son? How long will you wait? For your daughter, how long will you wait for your boss or for that friend, for that neighbor? Don't give up on them. Don't give up on them. Never give up on them. Because nobody, nobody is hopeless. And that includes you today. Maybe you're here today and you think, well, I'm hopeless. I'm hopeless. I've messed up. I've made too many mistakes. Well, good news. Nobody's hopeless. And that includes me. That includes you. And the extended, incredibly gracious love of God is given to you today if you will say yes to him. While pride destroys, humbles, and humiliates, and it can destroy marriages, friendships, and our soul, Jesus humbled himself, went to a cross, died a, a sinner's death for our sake, for the sinner. Romans says while we were still his enemies and hated God, he still loved us and died for us. He humbled himself even to the point of one of the most embarrassing and violent ways to die recorded in the history of the world. But yet Jesus, through that humility, extends his grace and love to you today. Nobody is hopeless. Let's pray. So I have two questions today I want you to think about. Maybe you're here today, and maybe like Nebuchadnezzar, you have God on the list of important things. But if truth be told, you have many idols in your life, many other pursuits that, that are greater than God in your life. I want to give you an opportunity right now to know the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. If you will humble yourself before the cross of Jesus Christ, if you can turn from your life to his life, if you can acknowledge, God, you're right and I'm wrong, and I will turn from my ways to turn to your ways, I will seek to follow and to know you. Through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, I can be made new. If you could just humble yourself before the cross of Jesus, he will lift you up. You are not beyond the reach of God. So that's the question number one. What pride is keeping you from that intimate walk with God? And number two, I want you to sit here and I want you to think of somebody who you love, who you don't want to give up on. God, I pray for them. I pray for that person. I pray for that son or that daughter, that mom and that dad, that brother or that sister, that cousin, God, that coworker, that boss. That neighbor, Father, I pray, Lord, that, that you would help us to be like Daniel, speak the truth in love, pray for them, love them, care for them. And God, that maybe, just maybe, 
we'll be around to see them say yes to you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your grace that forgives us of all our sins. Thank you that I'm not beyond the reach of the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.